0: Welcome to Forming the Spirit Within, a teaching ministry of Pastor Brad Riley. Pastor Brad is an associate and teaching pastor at First Church of the Nazarene here in Wichita, Kansas. He is a founder and director of the Merciful Servants of Christ, as well as the author of numerous articles. And now, here's Pastor Brad. Well, good morning. Today is Thursday, November the 8th, and it's winter has arrived. We're... We're gonna move from fall to winter today, really early. <laughs> They're talking the S word, snow. We saw snow? Well, we had heavy snow, snow over the rest of this morning. Rhonda said she saw snowflakes and rain at the same time. How unusual is that? It was snow. I was busy sitting inside a nice uh, Starbucks with my coffee and reading, studying for today's lesson, and thinking trying to get warm, couldn't get warm, everybody kept opening the door, everybody wanted to go to Starbucks, and every time somebody opened the door, it got cold, because the, the only table I could sit at was by the door, and, and I moved, uh, uh, then eventually I moved over once finally some people got out of there through the rush hour, and then I tried to move to a warmer table, but it really wasn't warmer, but, uh, and now I can't get warm, so I'm going to wear my jacket through this and just kind of <laughs> keep my hands in my pockets, because my hands are cold, but hopefully you've got a warm cup of coffee or cider or hot chocolate, and, chocolate. and we're going to talk about the gospel of John chapter 12 today. We're in chapter 12, we started chapter 12 last week, and we are going to look today specifically at the passage of the triumphal entry, John, and, and John's telling of the triumphal entry in and how he tells it, uh, he brings out some very uh, fascinating things. But as we do that, I, I put some notes on the board. I try to just put themes on there. Those are more for my my thoughts than yours, just so I don't forget a couple of important things. I like the donkey's war and peace, though. That's good. <laughs> donkey's war and peace. Yeah, I got that. That's kind of a, we're going to look at that. This Hopefully that intrigues us just a little bit. Um, we, we will only look at verses 12 to 19 today. I think that's a sufficient amount of scripture to coverage because then when we move into verse 20, it has uh, it changes and transitions a little bit. Um, but twelve through 9, verses 12 through 19 are very, very important. Uh, just a quick plug here that today as we begin, it, like I said, it's November the 8th. Tonight starts the mission experience. Don't let the snow keep you away. It's not going to snow. I mean, you heard it here first. If it snows, it's going to melt right off the street. So yeah. just come on. It'll not, look pretty on the grass and the car tops. You don't want to miss it. You don't want to miss I it. It's just so incredible. In here, and I'm sure others, but our friend Sylvia has been working hard along with her family, and um, we're we're really excited to see it. It's different than it was last year. Yep. And so I'm super excited, and you guys don't want to miss it. It's um, Brad put a little video up that you'll want to share, too, about the mission experience. It, it is just exciting. Uh, where, where else can you get an opportunity to walk into an immersive third-world experience and, and just experience the mission field in a visual and uh, tactile, sens- sensational way? It, it's amazing. So don't miss it. Uh, And if you didn't go last year, this year's all different than last year's. Uh, Totally different stories. So don't miss it. And and last year was fabulous. This year's going to be better. I I just, I'm in awe of what the talented people in this church do Mm -hmm. to put on uh, creative experiences. I mean, they've built, (laughs) literally built six countries, (laughs) experiences of six countries in, in just a few weeks. And then it'll all come down and it's like wow, it just, it just, I can't, I'm in awe, I'm speechless, so be part of it, it's, it's pretty exciting, and, uh, and I will share this on my little video I made this morning, I made Rhonda make a little video, I've been wanting to do it every day this week, and I'm driving in the car, I'm saying, okay, film the video while we're driving, because I've got no time to do this, <laughs> I didn't get it done yesterday, didn't get it done Monday, I was going to do it first thing Monday morning, I was going to do it Tuesday, and we've just been too busy, but I wanted to tell people in the church the exciting news that... Sunday, the first Sunday of Faith Promise, we, you heard the total, it was 93,000 and change. That's almost 100,000, that's almost halfway. Well, Monday morning, when the ladies came to open the tithe offerings and count the offerings like they always do, they found some more cards that were in tithe offerings, pledge cards, and there was over 8,000 there. So we went over 100,000, over the halfway mark in the first Sunday. That's incredible. Praise, Praise God. That's incredible. So keep it up. Uh, as they say in Chicago, vote early and vote often. Yeah. <laughs> we, we say here, pledge early and pledge often. <laughs> pledge early and pledge often. Well, let's look at the scripture this morning. Let's, let's read together. Let, let me I'll be reading from the RSV. This is chapter 12, the triumphal entry into Jerusalem, verses 12 through 19. The next day, a crowd who had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. And Jesus found a young ass and sat upon it, as it is written, Quote, Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on an ass's colt. His disciples did not understand this at first. But when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that this had been written of him and had been done to him. The crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead bore witness. The reason why the crowd went to meet him was that they heard he had done this sign. The Pharisees then said to one another, You see that you can do nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. Let's stop there. I want you to get the image here, okay? Let's just stop and take a few minutes to put ourselves into the, the setting. There's a road that leads... From Bethany over the Mount of Olives, down the Kidron Valley, into the eastern gate of the walls of Jerusalem. And this is the road they're on. Jesus is leaving Bethany, headed to Jerusalem for the Passover. The Passover, the crowds are just, people have poured into Jerusalem. Okay, Passover is one of the big three feasts that everybody wants to go to Jerusalem for. Um, in, in fact, it, it is in the heart of a Jewish person, in their, it is the thrill of their lifetime to just once at least, no matter where they live, maybe they live wherever from you know, being scattered uh, over the Old Testament days, maybe they lived in you know, Greece or Egypt or wherever, they want it at least once in life to go to Jerusalem for Passover at least once in life. In fact, it became the custom in the Passover dinners, the Seder suppers, to say, "Next year, with a toast, kind of next year in Jerusalem." Okay, and I still do that today. It's still Jews all over the world. It's a lifetime dream to go to Jerusalem for the Passover, because the Passover is the feast that celebrates. Redemption, it is the—I mean, it's the biggie. Okay, like for us, it's you know Easter. Well, what, in Easter, in Eastern Christianity, do you know what Easter is called? They don't use the word Easter. Redemption Sunday. E- nope. It's—it's oh. it's, uh, Eastern Christians call it Pascha. Pascha. P-A-S-C-H-A. It's Greek. Meaning do you, Passover. Do you? Know, it's Greek for Passover. That's correct. <laughs> So, it's still Passover. It's still about our redemption. Yeah. You know, Easter was actually kind of a, uh, borrowed from the pagan world. It, I don't know the, all the roots of the word, but and it's okay to say Easter. I'm just saying, this is how the early Christians identified the resurrection of Christ with Passover time. Okay? This isn't an accident that this happened. <laughs> this is the fulfillment that this is happening. Jesus' resurrection Sunday follows the Passover event on purpose in God's plan because this is the final fulfillment. The, the redemption of the people from slavery in Israel was only, the original Passover was to be commemorated forever according to the law of Moses, but but it would find its ultimate fulfillment in the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So, as we see Jesus with coming into... Jerusalem he's riding on a donkey okay a a young donkey it says an ass's colt okay a a full or whatever I'm not an animal expert but it's a young donkey okay and it's one in which no and if we read the gospel of Mark we we can study the gospel of Mark and we see that he gives us some more details about how they go and find this Jesus tells them, go to this house and and you'll find a a donkey and tell him the Lord has need of it and and uh so it all works out that they have this perfect young donkey in which no one's ever sat on before. And there's a lot of symbolism there, the, the beauty of the fact that, that no one's sat on it before. And, and Jesus comes riding, and he doesn't ride alone. I mean, there's, of course, 12 disciples following him, right? But it tells us that there's crowds following him. Okay? So what we have is the, when they get closer, when you get down to the, the Kidron Valley, you can imagine people start hearing. People in Jerusalem can see across to the Mount of Olives. And you can see this crowd coming down the mount. And this guy riding on this donkey. Well, word, is tra- word travels fast. In Jerusalem, the people start pouring out of the city. So you have two crowds that kind of emerge on this road into Jerusalem. Okay? This is the triumphal entry. What are they doing? And it says they're grabbing palm branches. And they're going out and they're waving these palm branches. And and the Gospels, others tell us, they threw their cloaks on the road. And and they're just, I mean, they're hailing, hailing a king. What they see as their king, their redeemer. Everybody believes. At this point, the Pharisees are so much in despair. Because they see, everybody believes this guy. This guy must be the Messiah. I mean, he raised the dead. He is the Messiah. And so they're there to hail the Messiah, the great king of Israel, the new king of Israel, the one promised from ages and ages ago. And they're alive at the time on planet Earth when the Messiah shows up in Jerusalem. I mean, how much more exciting could it be? But what are they excited about? What are they excited about really? Think about it with me. They think he's coming to claim his throne. That's right. And his throne looks like the throne of a Roman emperor, but he's the world, he's going to set up God's kingdom, overthrow the Romans, break the stronghold of the world empires that have always ruled the Jewish people for centuries and centuries now, from the Assyrians to the Babylonians to the you know, the Medo-Persians to the 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 Greeks and now the Romans. I mean these this God's people have been conquered people for so long. Finally the time has come. God is gonna restore the kingdom of Israel as it should be. Jesus the Messiah will reign on David's throne forever and ever. David's throne's in the city, you know. David's throne forever and ever. And it's just exciting. It's just exciting. And then in the midst of all this, we, we we have this this chant that they're they're calling out, you know, uh Hosanna, Hosanna to the king. Um in verse 13, there's a word here that we, we want to take note of. There's a Greek word here. In, in verse 13, I hadn't put it on the board yet, so, so let me write it down for you. And, and uh, spelled you... This is the English transliteration of it, okay? Upontesis. Okay, upontesis. That's an E there, okay? What does this word mean? In, in, in verse 13, if you look with us there, it says, so they took the palm branches and... Uh, branches from palm trees and went out to meet him. And it's for that word meet, Okay? And, and the literal Greek translation here is they went out to encounter him. Okay. this And this is a word used, not just of a simple meaning, but a, an important encounter. Used if a dignitary was coming to the city and you were going to encounter the deity. You were going to encounter the royal. You were going to encounter this king, if you will. So, So this is... Again, in the Greek, it flows. We learn a lot from the Greek language. John's hiding these little clues in here that he wasn't hiding them. They were right there for them to read. They're hidden to us because we don't know Greek. But as we uncover these little clues, okay, there's an encounter happening here. The crowd's from this way, crowd's from this way, and they're going to encounter the king of kings. And in that encounter, what do they shout? Hosanna! John records it here. Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. Well, there's another Jew, there's another Hebrew word, Hosanna. What does Hosanna mean in Hebrew? Does anybody know what it means? Sounds like hooray, I suppose. Save, save, something? You, save something? Yes, it, it literally means save us now. Oh, really? Yeah. It means save us now. So the fact that he's saying, they're saying. Hosanna tells us that these people really believe this is their Savior. Okay? Now, they're actually, John is quoting Psalm 118, verse 26. Let's look at it. Psalm 118, verse 26. Here's what it says. It says this. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed are you from the house of the Lord. Okay? Verse 25. I, I should have started with verse 25. O oh Lord, save us now. But if you read that in Hebrew, like the, Bible, the Old Testament was written in first, it says, Hosanna. In Hebrew. But in English, O oh Lord, save us now. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? Now, Psalm 118, he's quoting it. What do we know about Psalm 118? Well, it's part of a a gathering of psalms called the Hallel. Hallel is a Hebrew word. Does anybody know what Hallel means? Do you know what the word Hallelujah means? Okay, or Alleluia. Okay, sometimes pronounced without the H. Alleluia, hallelujah. Okay, they're basically the same word. And... It means praise, that's right. But it's also a compound word. Hallel literally means praise. Okay, so let me write that on the board here. That literally means praise, okay, in Hebrew. But hallelujah, the Yah is from Yahweh. It's a compound term, but it means praise God, okay. So, Hosanna, okay, this is part of the hallel. The hallel is Psalm 113 through 118, those psalms, those five psalms, okay, those are, is that five? 13, mm-hmm. 14, 15, 16, well, 17, 16. Six. it's actually six, yeah, okay. Um, those six psalms are actually a kind of like a, a one prayer. They are, we think of them as separate psalms, but Jewish people learned them. They memorized them. All their life, this is the, these are the psalms that they used when they went to the temple to praise God, especially at the feasts, Okay, especially the, the Pentecost and the, and the Feast of Tabernacles and the Passover. And, and the origin of these psalms, it's a little bit unclear who, who and when they were written, but there's a clue that many scholars believe they were probably written during the time of Nehemiah. You remember, remember Nehemiah in the book of Nehemiah in the Bible? What was Nehemiah's time? He well, no, he, he was building a wall, like you said. You're right. It was during the time of the return of the people from Babylon, and their Nehemiah's task was first task: build the wall. Got to put up safe borders around the new, the old city, because because the, they'd been torn down by the Babylonians. You know, the temple had been. Ruined, the walls of the city were ruined, everything was ruined. And so this remnant of Israel comes and returns by the order of King Darius, the king of the Medo-Persians, and uh, who had conquered the Babylonians. And, and as they return, there is this experience. The book of Nehemiah, if you haven't read it recently, read it. It's not very long. Beautiful book. Powerful book. Okay? And in this story... In the middle chapters around chapter 8, we, we, see, uh, we see something powerful happen. In, in chapter 8, it says, and this is in Nehemiah, it says, Now all the people gathered together as one man. Unity, solidarity, you get that? Okay, that's a very important point there. Israel never understood they were saved individually. Okay, They were saved by God as a people of God. You were part of something. You were part of a unified whole. It's a a sad thing that modern evangelical Christianity has lost that meaning. Because early Christianity understood that meaning. Uh, and, And on in through the ages, Christianity understood that meaning. It was only the modern evangelical movement that got so... Uh, what's the word I want to use, that got so preoccupied with the need to get to get out into the world evangelizing the lost individually just, and get them saved, that they lost sight of the idea of being saved as the whole. The church being the true Israel. Okay, I want to spend a little time on this because this is really important. The people of God the chosen people of God is Israel, right? Of all the nations of the earth, God chose a nation and he manifested himself with them and through them and in them and, and promised, uh, redemption to the whole world through them. Israel, uh, was conquered several times. They were disobedient several times. They were conquered several times, but God was never through with them. And in the Messiah coming through David's line. We know that Jesus Christ is that Messiah, and we're seeing people recognize that here in in this 12th chapter. And then, of course, uh, the church is born at Pentecost. And and so now we have a church within the people of Israel. Okay, the first church, remember, they're all Jewish, part of Israel, okay? Eventually, only after several decades... The, the Christians become separated from within the Jews because of this argument over who's got to, you have to become Jewish to first be Christian, and there's all these problems, and we read about some of that in the book of Acts. Decisions are made of how people become Christian. You don't have to be everything that a Jew is to be Christian. So they that's Acts chapter 15. You can read about that. Um but, but there's this concept you go going to read the works of the New Testament especially the writings of the Apostle Paul especially the writings of the Apostle Paul and it was two thirds of the New Testament Okay, and especially the book of Romans Paul says it very clearly in chapter 13 that the church is Israel okay We must understand, and and this is lost. This is lost on modern evangelicals way too often. We must understand we are Israel. Israel is not just a government, a political country on the face of the earth, over in the Middle East that we love to go visit. It's not just that. It's the spiritual people of God, and the church is Israel. Paul talks about that we have been grafted in. We, meaning Gentiles, okay, we've been grafted into the people of God. The people of God originally started with Jews, but now it's for everybody, and we're grafted in, and we are Israel. We are saved if we are part of Israel. In the Old Testament, people were saved by being a part of Israel. In the New Testament, we are saved by being a part of Israel. Yes, we confess with our mouth. Yes, we we trust in Jesus individually, but let it never be said that we are not saved corporately, and only individually. Because that is not correct doctrine. That is not correct teaching. That was never... The, the apostles, Peter, James, and John, their successors, the early Christian churches, on through the centuries, never understood salvation outside the church. How in the world could you be saved outside the church? The church is Israel. The church is the people of God. It's, it's the ark. Okay? Were you saved outside the ark in Noah's day? No. Only people that lived were what was in the ark, right? And, and, and Peter talks about that in his little epistles and uses these beautiful these beautiful images and metaphors for the church. And, and I think this is, I really believe this is a problem in modern society. You I got a book that I'm working on not very quickly sadly, but I got a i got a lot to say about this, and it's going to have to flow out in a book, and once I write the book, then everybody's going to be mad at me. (laughs) But but that's a good thing, because uh, I knew a guy once that said, make your titles of your books controversial, because that gets people's attention. (laughs) So I don't know what the title of this book is. The working title has been this thought that that church is not an option. Church is not an option. Okay. You want to know why people today are so spiritual and so many believers, I mean, still 85% of the country says they're Christian. Young people today, eight out of 10, they're, they're spiritual, they're looking for something, but they don't care for the church. In fact, they're leaving the church in droves, young people are. Millennials, if they are, if millennials are starting churches or going to churches, they're not going to this kind of church very much. I mean, we've got a few here, okay. Well, you go, well, look at the churches that they're going to. Go out and study it Can and see churches? it. No, no, no. They're going to community churches that have, the believe it or not, look like something transcendent. They, they, they've patterned their worship after ancient styles. They always have the Eucharist, and they call it the Eucharist. They don't just call it communion or the Lord's Supper like we do. They, they They'll play guitars and sing, but they'll have liturgy, they'll, they'll recite creeds, they'll light candles they'll do these little things that feel that bring them in touch with something that transcends the, this modern era where we just gather together and listen to great music and hear a preacher, they still hear the preached word, but they're a little more, what I'm saying is they're more sacramental, they're more uh, r- uh, ritual in their style, They're more. Th- this appeals to younger people, why does it appeal to younger people? Because the church they grew up in or the church their parents grew up in has left them feeling void. Why? Because they see no difference between the church and the world. Yeah, that's true. And I'm telling you, that is convicts me to the max. Convicts me to the max. And so all around us, we have churches beating their heads against the wall. Trying to figure out how to grow the church. How do we grow the church? How do we get people in the church? How can we grow the church? uh, We must need a different kind of music. We must need more shows. We must need more. I mean, I could pull my hair out, okay? And I don't have very much left. So i got to quit doing that. At, at, at at, at At seeing churches wrestle so hard with how to grow the church, when God's not concerned with how to grow the church, God's concerned. God said, "I will grow the church." You see, I think that's part of what we're missing in the Book of Acts, chapter four. It says they paid attention to the teaching of the apostles, the breaking of the bread, the being together in fellowship and the and prayer, and it gives us a formula. And so, the Book of Acts, you see what what you see the church doing there is a is like a formula, if you will. And it says very importantly. And God added to the church daily those who were being saved. It doesn't say that God added... It doesn't say that God just saved people. It says God added to the church. Why? Because the church is where salvation is found. Okay? Now, I'm, I'm going I'm to come full circle here before I go down too many rabbit trails, okay? Why do I say the church is not an option? Because no Christian leader of any church or denomination until really the 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 last couple of hundred years and really till the last hundred years would have ever understood that you become a christian but never become part of the church and today we talk about that all the time oh at least they're christian (laughs) at least they're you know at least they believe Um, and what are people missing if the church has Tried to become so many different things in the name of trying to be relevant. Well, we got to be relevant. we got to reach them out. And, and, and trust me, if you think I'm preaching uh, your language here because I want to turn the clock back to 1955, that's not what I'm doing. Because relevant church isn't just what we, you, you were raised on in, in the 50s or 60s, okay? That's not what I'm talking about because that's just as irrelevant is that a word unrelevant irrelevant that's just as irrelevant as any modern approach you've got to look at the historic church before the modern era why did the church not change for th- almost 50- wow that's good timing that's good no it's good timing it just why did it was, God's going to answer our question there <laughs> why <laughs> There's a title of a book, God Calling. Or that's Jesus Calling. Jesus Calling. Jesus Calling. Why did God not answer, why why did God not, uh, why did the church not change for literally over a thousand years? Uh, Because the church, I'm going to be honest with you, the church doesn't need to change. The church is Jesus. The church is Jesus. It is spiritually, mystically his body. It does not need to change to reach people. It needs to love to reach people. Amen. It needs to be, that to be, you want to be relevant? Love people. Because I'm telling you, they really don't care what your worship is. They really don't care if you have a band or a choir. They really don't care if you have a liturgy or a, or a, or a contemporary type field. If you love we've they that will really start to care living waters every week but we're not proving it well in our churches okay i'm that, not just saying you. this one yeah. okay i am not and i know living waters is a loving handed outreach and beautiful I, amen but i'm saying church as everywhere yeah, are struggling in modern america because we <laughs> we're trying to invite people to something that we're not okay and they can tell it yeah, yeah they, but when we, we become when we become what we are to become, which is the mystical body of Christ, that, that, tr- that uh, full of people that are sinners, but transformed sinners, that, that, are, that are not holier than thou, saying when you change, you can become like us, but saying, hey, we're, stalled, we're all struggling through this, but the grace of God is changing me from day to day. I've got to stop preaching here. I'm way beyond my point. Way beyond my point. My point is, way beyond my point, My point is, the church is not optional. Okay? It's just not. And we've got to rediscover that. We need a new, rediscovered doctrine. Not a new, but newly rediscovered doctrine of the church. Okay? What it means to be the body of Christ. And what these people, come back to the Gospel of John with me now, to the book of Nehemiah, that's where I was. I was in the book of Nehemiah. What happens in Nehemiah? Now all the people gathered together as one person in the open square that was in front of the water gate. They don't have a church. They don't have a temple. It's all been torn down. They just have this open area. And they told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses. That's their Bible, okay? The Torah. They're bringing out this big scroll, okay? Okay. the book of the, Lord, of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded Israel. So Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly of men and women and all who could hear with understanding on the first day of the seventh month. Then, it, Nehemiah is very careful to say when this happens, first day of the seventh month. Then he read from it in the open square. So Ezra, this high priest, he's up there, he's, he's reading from it in the, in the uh, it says in the open square that was in front of the Watergate from morning until midday before the men and women and those who could understand and the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law the bible in other words the the law of god okay and so Ezra the scribe I called him a priest a minute ago, he's a scribe, stood on a platform of wood, which they had made for the purpose. They built a platform to raise him up so everybody could hear him. And beside him at his right hand stood Mattathiah, Shema, Ananiah, Uriah, Hilkiah, and Messiah. And at his left hand, Pediah, Mishael, Malkiah, Hashum, Hashpadana, Zechariah, and Meshulam. Believe me, those words meant something to the people that read this book. They knew who those people (laughs) were. We don't know who they are. And Ezra opened the book. We, We, you know, the scroll, in other words, unfolds the scroll. He opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was standing above the people. And when he opened it, all the people stood up. Wow. Why do we stand for the reading of God's holy word? because we always should it's holy and then verse 6 and Ezra blessed the pe- the Lord he blessed the Lord the great God and then all the people answered amen amen while lifting up their hands and they bowed their heads and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground okay worship wasn't just an intellectual ascent oh amen in my mind amen I agree with that amen no, they got up, they stood up, they raised their hands, they bowed down, they put their face to the ground, prostrating themselves before the Lord God. Worship involved their whole being. And then he says, Also Je- Yeshua, Benaiah, Sherabiah, Je- Jamin, Akub, Shabbatiah, Hodijah, Messiah, Kelita, Azariah, Josabad, Hanan, Paliah, and the Levites helped the people to understand the law and the people stood in their place so they read distinctly from the book in the law of god and they gave the sense and helped them understand the reading so what's happening here not everybody understands because they've lost it they've been in babylon for 70 years They've lost a lot of their heritage. They've lost a lot of their understanding. Not everybody understands it, but the Levites and all these others that were named that do, they're going out and you hear what he's reading? And they're telling them and they're helping them understand what God's law is all about. And Look at the response. Then Nehemiah, who was the governor, and Ezra the priest and scribe, and the Levites who taught the people said to all the people, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. Where all the people wept when they heard the words of the law. Wow. People were crying because they were moved. They hadn't heard the word of the law read to them. The word of God read to them in so long. They're crying. They're being convicted of their sin. And they're one nation again and one people again and one identity again. And, and so he says to "That today's holy. And he says... Uh, So then for all the people wept, he said to them, go your way, eat the fat, drink the sweet, send portions to those for whom nothing is prepared, for this day is holy to our Lord. Do not sorrow, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Thus the Levites quieted all the people, saying, be still, for the day is holy, do not be grieved. And all the people went their way to eat and drink to send portions and rejoice greatly, because they understood the words that were declared to them." So, in the very next section of chapter eight, we see the feast of booths, the tabernacles, where they gather. We talked about that way earlier in the book, you know, where the pictures where they gather the branches and they build little huts and go camping in the streets. That the feast of booths is is uh, is brought forward and reinstituted. Okay, and so why do I why did I digress into all of this? Okay, because this is why there's huge crowds in the square in Jerusalem for the Passover because they now know messiah has come the fulfillment of everything they used to do and what was in this the psalm the the psalm the hallel psalms are believed to have been many scholars believe they were written by Nehemiah or one of these people or Ezra and this was when they were written they were written out of this outpouring of praise to God because he brought them back. They're in the land of Israel again. They're 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 back where they can have freedom to worship and build the temple, rebuild the temple. Um, so that when you read those Psalms, read Psalm 113, 118, read them as one, think of them as just one prayer. And here's what we know every Jewish boy memorized them. I mean the people memorized these. This was what they were grown up teach, taught this. So in Jesus' day, when John comes along and quotes, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Even your king of Israel. Wow, they're going, well, I recognize that. I've been saying that all my life. You mean this is now. This is why we're being fulfilled. This is what's, what's happening in our midst. So there, there, is this, uh, there is this incredible feeling in the crowds. That the Messiah has come. It's, it's, it's the biggest day of their life. It's the biggest day in the history of the world. Now, let's put that together with what's actually happening here. We see John quoting. He goes on to quote in, in verses uh 14 and 15. He's quoting the Old Testament prophecies. He's quoting you could read Isaiah 40 or Zechariah 9. And, and he doesn't quote it word for word but you know that's okay. He quotes the essence of what the scripture says there about Jesus actually about the Messiah actually riding on a donkey. Why a donkey? What did that mean to the people? What do we know about donkeys? They're stubborn. They're stubborn. <laughs> stubborn as a mule. A mule is actually a uh, cross between strong. cross between a horse and a, and a, and a donkey I think uh, but when you stubborn as a mule you've heard that and donkeys apparently are supposedly stubborn. I don't know a whole lot about them like I say I'm not a farmer or an animal uh, expert at all but I do know and they're called a the beast of burden they're strong we see them carrying things what, what's, what's another uh, don't quit. what's another time in scripture where we see somebody important riding on a donkey? Well, Jesus rode on one? Uh, before that, too, as a child. But I... Well, he did you know, in his mother's womb. That's true. Remember the and story, of Mary? Yeah, Remember no, the story of Mary? Remember the story of Mary being pregnant and riding on a donkey on their way to Egypt? Exactly. Okay? Beautiful fulfillment here. Another image of fulfillment coming full circle in life. Going, going to but, but we also see some, fo- some political fulfillments here. If you were a king, if you were a conquering king especially, you'd been to war, you'd conquered, and you were riding back in triumphantly into the city... Would you be riding a donkey? No. Probably a not. You'd be riding a horse, that's yeah. correct. Because the horse was the symbol of the conqueror. But the donkey is kind of the symbol of the working class. It is today. Yeah. Okay, but let's think about then some things we don't know. I mean, I didn't know this until I studied it, okay. But if you go all the way back to the book of Judges, Okay, the book of Judges. I can't remember the guy's name because he's not top of the mind awareness. Let me look here in my notes. Jair, J A I R, J A I R, Jair. What's that? Donkeys and horses used to be a lot bigger. Used to be bigger. That's interesting. Yeah, interesting. But Jair in the book of Judges, his he was one of the you know the judge was kind of like a king. Okay, the judges of Israel they weren't kings but they were the people that led the people uh, through that era of time where they had had no king yet. Um, but it says that Jair's ten sons all rode donkeys. They were royalty. Here's what we know from history. Is that the donkey, when, they were, when a king was riding, and this is historically proven in other cultures as well. When a king rode on a donkey, he was a symbol of peace. I come in peace. But when he rode
1: on a horse,
0: he came in conquering. Right. Okay? That makes sense. See? So, the donkey here is a symbol of peace. Yeah. Who, who rode on the donkey to, to, Beth, to Bethlehem and, and to Egypt? But Mary riding on a donkey, the king of peace. What right. does the Bible tell us? The Savior is born, who is the king of peace, the prince of peace. Yes. Jesus has come, but, but you see the dichotomy of thought here? People are hailing a war hero, they think of Jesus as going to be the arch, he's going to overthrow the Romans. Okay? They have no clue. Where, how he's really coming. He's coming in peace. He's coming in peace. Okay? His overthrowing is going to be in his dying. Okay? They have no clue of that. They can't. Even though he's told them, I'm going to die, I'm going to Jerusalem, we're going to die, they, they still don't get it. And John tells us that. He says they miss all this. Look, he's, he says in verse 16, his disciples didn't understand this at first. They don't see that. Oh, wow, he's fulfilling Zechariah right now. This is incredible. They don't see that, you know. They just, they don't figure, they figure this out later. When do they figure it out? After, After it tells us, after Jesus was glorified. Jesus is glorified. How's Jesus glorified? Well, he's glorified in the cross. He's glorified in the resurrection. He's glorified in the ascension. He's glorified in the sending of his Holy Spirit and Pentecost. After all these things, they start to remember and later in this very book of John we're going to get to a point where Jesus is going to tell the people I've got a lot more to say to you guys but you just can't handle it right now. But I'm going to ask the Father and he's going to send the Spirit. And when he comes he's going to lead you and guide you into all truth. Those are words that come out later in, the, in a few chapters. So John's quoting Zechariah and best he can here and, and, and uh, Isaiah and and it says here the crowd, verse seventeen. The crowd had been the crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead, bore witness. So the crowd that's been around ever since Lazarus raising, they've they've borne witness. The word has been spreading like wildfire. Messiah is coming to Passover. Remember back in chapter eleven that everybody was kind of, what well, do you think he'll come? Remember that there was in in I think it was in verse. 26 maybe, fifty. I can't remember what verse and they said, do you think he'll come to the Passover? Well now, word's been spreading like viral he's coming, he's coming Um, and and in that, the, the reason it says here in verse 18, the reason why the crowd went to meet him was that they'd heard he had done this sign, meaning the raising of Lazarus four days in the tomb definitely dead back to life the Pharisees then said to one another, verse, the last verse we read, verse 19, quote, you see that you can do nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. They are desperate. They are in despair. They know this guy, yep, he's the Messiah. There's no, there's no, there's no doubt in anyone's mind that this is the Messiah. what they don't know is what kind of Messiah he truly is. And they've been wrong all these years. They've been expecting a war hero, and they're getting a man of peace. And it doesn't fit their mold. It doesn't fit their image. And their hearts have become so hardened, and they've become so entrenched in their powerful position. The Pharisees, I mean, let's face it. Who needs Pharisees once you have Jesus, once the King of Peace comes? Once the Messiah comes? We're not going to need Pharisees anymore. You know, God is going to be with us. You know, the name Emmanuel means God with us. People understood that when Messiah comes, somehow God was going to be with them. not going to need the Pharisees anymore to tell us what God thinks. And that was going to be the ushering in of the eternal age. It's God with us. And, and, And so they're hard. They're making all the plans they can to try and kill him. We've already heard that. We've already read that in the last chapter they now are set about trying to kill him. And they want to kill Lazarus too. <laughs> if they kill Lazarus too, even better. You know. yeah. so, so we're going to stop there um, because um, when we get to the next verse, it starts talking about Gentiles. And there's a little bit of a, trans, a meaning to that mm-hmm. that I want to develop for you. But for today, as we kind of bring this to a close, let me, let me ask some questions here about Jesus. So think with me about Jesus and his riding into Jerusalem. We've talked a lot about what the people are thinking. What might Jesus be thinking? They, he, he's thinking that they don't get it. And what do you think that does to him? Well, it's got to make him just almost be in anguish. Yeah. It's got to break his heart. They don't even understand... Uh, even yeah. not even the slightest bit yeah. of what he's there for. That's right. It's got to break his heart as he's writing in. You know, he's got to be... It's, it's, sometimes we, we get so removed. We're reading this stuff 2,000 years later. We're just reading it in English and we're just reading uh, dispassionately. But we want to read the Scripture passionately. Okay. I Go ahead. Do you thought? He's also knowing what's to come. Yes. Yeah. And that emotion would be... He knows he's riding into the cross. Yeah. So as we learn to read this passionately, we, we enter into his passionate thoughts. And, and I, I think there's another emotion here of Jesus that is, we don't want to miss. I think this is the greatest display of courage anyone could ever yeah, show. My goodness, yes. I mean, remember, he knows they're going to kill him. He knows he knows that riding into Jerusalem is riding into the hands of the enemy they're going to. He is our God he's also man. And in that he experiences emotions exactly. that we do. And and so, you know, Jesus had courage. He wants us to have courage. You know, we want to find our courage in him and in his power. Yeah. Okay. There's nothing that we face that he hasn't handled yeah, sure. or felt. Or conquered, we. This is why the scripture teaches us, "I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength." That's Philippians four thirteen. Mm-hmm. Paul says, "I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength." Why? Because we we know he's in his humanity. Jesus did it all and conquered it all. All the temptations, all the the, the tough times, and, and this, even the facing of death in Jesus humanity he faced grueling death but yet found the courage to surrender to it okay we see that lived out in martyrs uh wow well, you want to you want to be you want to be blessed you want to be in challenged read this read the stories of the martyrs for the christian faith you know um, and they're still they still martyrs. Not still alive. I mean, there's still martyrs in the world. You don't have to just go to ancient history. Either, although there's periods in ancient history that are. Bad. Fox's book of martyrs. That's a great classic, that was written by uh, was it George Fox? I think the Quaker uh, compiled a book called. If you haven't read it, read it. it. Compiled a book on the martyrs of the church throughout the centuries. Um, you know, we can look to the lives of people in in the Middle East today. Eastern Christians whose lives are just being cut off—you know, their heads are cut off. Everything is. There's martyrs all around us. Um, it's happening still, and it always will happen until until Jesus returns. Um, but I, I don't want us to miss the emotions because we're we're now entering that last week of Jesus' life, and we're gonna we're gonna look at his passion. We're gonna take it slow. Might take us till Easter to get to the cross. I don't know. Uh but we want to take it slow. And uh his emotions had to be strong and the love for us and all those people writing in, he knew he was gonna be beaten to the point where his skin was his flesh mm-hmm. was gonna be ripped mm-hmm. from his bones. He knew all that. Mm-hmm. That's right. So true. And and so uh you know, let us never never forget uh what we're looking at here. Um mm-hmm. John is an amazing gospel because it's, it's a passionate gospel. Mm-hmm. It's, a, it's an emotional gospel. It's not just a historical, chronological story. It's about emotion and passion and theology, what we call theology, are getting to really know God in the person of Jesus Christ. Sad and triumph at the same time. So powerful. So I think that's probably enough. What what thoughts or questions do you have? Any anything before we close? Yeah. Sylvia. The story of the fall, which you were talking about? Yeah. When the big champion horse is about to give birth. That's called falling. So that oh. fall is the birth. Yeah. You know, the, uh, that's the fall is the
1: birth. Yeah. So that
0: fall that Jesus wrote in was very fresh. Yes. Very pure. It's young and pure. Young and pure. Wow, and pure. yeah. Beautiful. I and mean, when you were describing the walk from Bethany to, to Jerusalem, Bethany, yeah. It reminded me of standing on the mountain looking across at the Golden Gate. Oh, man. Wow. And you knew across the hill was Bethany. Yeah. When you described that today, it reminded me this might be the exact path Jesus is coming back through. Exactly. He's going to go to the Golden Gate. That's right. He might go right. However he comes. It tells us he's going to stand on the Mount of Olives. Yeah, Yeah. he's going to cleave the Mount of Olives. That's right. That's right. And there are pilgrims that, we didn't, but there are pilgrims that do take that long, it's a fairly long walk, you know, it's a challenging walk, and so not every pilgrim group can do it, but they do take that path through the Kidron Valley and up into Jerusalem. They don't go through the Eastern Gate, of course, because it's been sealed, and we don't believe anybody will until Christ returns. But uh, what, what a powerful time. Um, yeah, I mean, it just brings. When I study this stuff, it just brings back all those images, like you've mentioned there, of being there. And I mean, there, there is—it's breathtaking. Uh, I, I'm some of you who were with me on that last trip. You, you remember when we were driving through the city of Jerusalem? We just entered Jerusalem on the bus. We're on a bus, of course. And our guide, Yoran, Jor- Jor- is telling us. You know, we start playing that song about Jerusalem, Jerusalem. Uh, and, and just he says it's about to happen and then when you go under this overpass and you begin to turn and there it is you see the old walls you see the eastern gate and you see that that dome of the rock that gold dome which we know isn't, isn't a Christian site but it is the site where the temple stood and it's like I'm getting goosebumps just thinking about it right now <laughs> if you've never been you gotta go if at all possible you gotta go and if you don't get to go, hey, you'll go in the New Kingdom. We'll <laughs> be walking on streets of gold there. So, other thoughts? What is, what is the study of John doing for you? We're 12 chapters in. Okay? We're 12 chapters in. What is the study, what is the study of John? Anybody? What's it's just it? bringing things more alive to me. I mean... Um... I don't know, I I, I understand things better uh, because, and I can see things now better when I read it. Yeah, well I appreciate that. I, I really, I don't remember what I said in the overview to this when we started before the first chapter. I can't even remember if I said it. But what I hope you see is I hope you, at the end of this study, I want you to know God through Jesus Christ more intimately than you ever have before. That's that's why John wrote this gospel. Okay, He's going to say it in chapter 17. I'll just give you a glimpse. We're a long ways from 17. But he's going to say it. Jesus, that's, you know, Jesus' high priestly prayer, they call it. Jesus says, every time I hear these words, I get goosebumps. Jesus says, this is, is eternal life. That they may know you, God, in Jesus, whom you have sent. Wow. What is eternal life? It's knowing God in Jesus. That is eternal life. Jesus' own words. You know, that's where we're headed here in the Gospel of John. I've said it before, said it way back in the Gospel of John chapter 5. I can't say it enough. I, I want to put a plug in for a podcast. I just love this podcast. Everybody, go get this podcast. Okay, it's only they're only they short, ten to fifteen minutes long, and it's called uh, "Things Above." The "Things Above" podcast. Okay, just Google that "Things Above." It's and it's it's by uh, Professor James Brian Smith at Friends University. Okay, he is. Uh, just can't say enough good about him. I love him. I love the way he thinks. James Brian Smith, Things Above Podcast. Um, he's the chair of the Dallas Willard School for a, the Apprenticeship of Jesus Christ there at Friends University, and uh, he has there's I it just aired it just started this last year. There's maybe a dozen or so podcasts is all, and they're short to listen to, but listen to him. Things Above Podcast. And, and one of the things I was just thinking about this the other day, I was going back and re-listening to him. I can't listen to him enough. Uh, and he has one that talks about the title of it is Eternal Life Now. And you heard me talk about that in John chapter 5. Guys, this is eternal life now. It's not then. It's now. It, then will just be a new phase of it. But in Jesus Christ, we enter eternal life now. And, and he, he doesn't even mention John five 24. He's got some other scriptures, but it's, it's not just that one text. But, it, but anyway, give you a little food for thought there. Things Above podcast. I love it. It's good stuff. Go listen to it. I think you'll be blessed. Well, I started a little bit late. I've talked long enough to make it look like I've been here an hour. So <laughs> let's, uh, let's close in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, what a privilege to be together to study your word. I pray this would not just be study but life transforming experience with your Holy Spirit so guide us, direct us lead us in our thoughts that are that are coming to us, bring this word back to our hearts and minds as we go through today and tonight and the next days until we meet again, let your word become more and more alive all the time as we become more alive all the time in Jesus Christ, so thank you for the promise and the beauty of your Word in this time together. We ask this in the strong name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, your Son, our Savior, who lives and reigns with you, Father, and the Holy Spirit as one God forever and ever and unto the ages of ages. Amen. Amen. This has been Forming the Spirit Within. I'm Roger Culver, inviting you to tune in next time as Pastor Brad opens God's Word, helping us to form the Holy Spirit within us. Until then, may grace and peace be with you.